0: I've asked for more time today, Um, we finished a little quicker because I want to cover this topic in one long swoop. So hopefully you had a little coffee before you came in and uh, I think it'll be, I pray that it'll be um, on track enough and that you'll be able to focus and stay attention wise and I won't get too boring uh, because I want to share with you in my heart what I believe about giving about resources, money, time, everything, and I, I, I'm doing a series. This is the month of February, um, and we celebrate Valentine's Day in February, and we talk about the heart, and over the next couple of weeks, those of you who have kids, you're going to give those little hearts away with those messages on them um, that we somebody... Thought years ago, what a great way to make money. Put two stupid words on a candy heart, and let's sell billions of them, and they'll be all over the place over the next couple of weeks. And, and I want to say to you, the Bible has much to say about your heart. Uh, it, it talks about your heart. Um, it, from, from the time of David, who was a man after God's own heart, and who God rejected all his brothers because God didn't look at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Um, God is looking for people whose hearts are completely His. Um, the Bible, from beginning to end, talks a lot about our heart. And this morning, um, I, I want to connect the two because I believe Jesus does, that talks about where your treasure is, there is your heart. Um, that you can't separate your heart and resources, whether it be time or money. Or giving, And we live in a materialistic age where your heart is always trying to be grabbed. This afternoon, this evening, uh, the Super Bowl is on, uh, in case you didn't know. Um, I love our church because we're about half culturally irrelevant. Uh, I mean, or ignorant might be the term. Uh, many of us in our church have no idea. What, there's a game today? I love that about our church, and it drives me crazy at the same time. But nonetheless, there is a football game this afternoon, uh, the Super Bowl, and many people will watch it not for the game anymore, but for the commercials. Now you don't even have to watch the game to watch the commercials. I could have watched the commercials all week. I could go out on YouTube and they've got the 15 top commercials and you can just watch them. And so no, no longer have they seized us to watch a game, they've seized us to watch what they're promoting, and now they promote what they're promoting before they ever promote it. I don't even know if I could say that again. <laughs> but all of those ads are geared toward one thing, and that's seizing your heart. They want you to think, you'll look good in this car. Or you'll, be, you'll, you'll pick up more of the opposite sex if you'll drink this drink. Or you'll, uh, you know, you, puppies and horses, and they're going to seize your heart this afternoon... Trying to get you to what? Part with your treasure. Part with your resources. And and I want to say the Bible talks a lot about your heart, and Jesus talked as much about money and giving as any other topic. So I I understand entering into this topic that there's a certain cynical view about a pastor talking about giving and money. Like, oh, here we go. But um, I I would also want to say to you, Can we just, can we not separate what we may have heard over all of these years about money and giving to the church and prosperity doctrine and all the other stuff that has infiltrated and maybe get back to the basics of what the Word of God says about giving and stewardship? And that's my heart for you. If you hear anything else today, if you hear me trying to manipulate you, please dismiss it. Because I in no way, as a matter of fact, I'm going to go and try the opposite extreme. But what I want to do is give you a framework of what I perceive as what the Bible talks about in giving. About giving. And look at these passages uh, that talk about giving. And by the way, these are all from the New Testament, not the Old. Because I know there's this argument about, "Eh, the Old has a whole, we'll talk about the Old Testament stuff on giving. But look at these passages that talk about giving. Each of you should give what you have decided in your, where? Heart. It's a heart issue. Heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Second Corinthians 8:4, for, for if the willingness is there, that's also a statement about the heart. The gift is acceptable according to what one has done, not according to what one does not have. Luke 6, 38, Jesus says, Give, and it will be given to you. A good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over, will be poured into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Matthew 6, 2. So when you give to the needy, and he doesn't say if you give to the needy, by the way. He says, when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Luke 6.30, give to... I want to preach on every one of these passages as I'm reading them, but I'm just trying to give you an overview of some of these passages. Luke 6.30, give to everyone who asks you, and if anyone takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Wow, I mean, really? Give to everyone who asks you? Keep, I'm going to keep going. 2 Corinthians 9, you will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Matthew 10, 8, heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. The Bible talks a ton about giving. Giving is essential, I believe, to the life of any believer. For these reasons. It pleases God. Uh, we're all to be good stewards. We're going to talk about that in just a moment of all that God has given us. Um, as we give together, we can accomplish a great deal more than if we give individually. Uh, giving fights the spirit of materialism that uh, attacks every single one of our hearts on a consistent basis. I, 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 am, <clears throat> I am very optimistic See, my presupposition here today is that you want to give. I mean, I'm presupposing. You know what? I, Fullness is an awesome church. The people that come to Fullness are awesome people. Uh, I, I, my presupposition is that you want to give, but there's something preventing you from giving. could be debt. It uh, could be a job loss. It could be a, a tug of war on our hearts. And so what I want to do is to give an overview about how money is a resource and that God desires for us to be in his character and his nature. So here's the I'm trying to say a lot in a short amount of time. So if I stumble over my words just give me grace. God is a giving God. Jesus is a giving savior. We are to be like him in every way, which means we are to be a giving people. It is part and parcel. We're to be loving. We're to be caring for others. We are to be a giving people. In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable called the parable of the talents. And it's about this master who goes away on a long trip. And I know if you've been in the church long enough, you've you've heard the story. To one guy... He gives five bags of gold. I'm changing the wording just a little bit. But he gives five bags of gold. To another guy, a servant, he gives two bags of gold. And to a third servant, he gives one bag of gold. Now, we're not told why he gives five, two, and one. It's irrelevant. Other than he just says, hey, Jack, here's five. Hey, Ricardo, here's two. Hey, Brian, here's one. He just gives them like his gifts. He gives Because he's the master, and he can do what he wants to do. Then he goes away on a long trip, and he says, I'm entrusting you with this stuff. Well, while he's gone, immediately, they all three do something. The guy with the five and the two, those two guys, they go out, and they invest, and they do stuff, and they start making money off the money he's given them. The guy with the one is afraid of what's going to happen, so he doesn't want to lose it, so he buries it. And he just keeps it buried. And a long time later, the master comes back and says to the guys, hey, what have you done with the bags of gold I gave you? Well, the guy who's got five, he comes back and he says, hey, I doubled it. I got ten now. And the master says, hey, good job. Well done, good and faithful servant. The guy with the two comes in. Hey, I doubled it. I got four. I invested it. Well done, good and faithful servant. The guy with the one comes in and says, look, I know you're a tough master. Here's my interpretation of what this guy says. He says, you're a mean dude. And I was afraid that if I lost this one, that I'd be in trouble. And I didn't want this bag of gold in the first place. You forced it on me, and now I had to take it. And so I buried it, and I'm giving it back to you. And the master basically says to the guy, hey, you knew I was an accounting kind of master, that I demanded fruitfulness. You knew that there was going to be an accounting. Why did you not do more with what I've entrusted to you? And he says, get out. Kicks him out and takes the bag of gold and gives it to the guys who had made money. Now, we look at this and we think, "Ooh, this is really harsh. Here's what I believe Jesus is trying to tell in this parable. We, we are the servants in this parable. God is the master. And he has given to every single one of us something. He, he's entrusted to our care. And, and the truth, there are many layers of truth in this parable. But the one I want you to see today is this, is that we are stewards of what God has given us. We are stewards of what God has given us. A steward is not the owner. A steward is the one who is managing the resource. So I want to talk about stewardship this morning for a little bit. And first is the rationale of stewardship. The rationale of stewardship, and it's kind of based on this passage. And look at what it says in Job. Job stood up and tore his robe. I mean, this is right after Job has heard the news that he's lost everything. So Job stands up and he tears his robe in grief. He shaves his head, fell to the ground before God. He said, I came naked from my mother's womb and I will be stripped of everything when I die. The Lord gave me everything I had and the Lord has taken it away. Praise the name of the Lord. Now to many people, Job is the first book written in the Bible. And this is in the first chapter of the first book. And to me, it is a recognition of this key principle that stewardship is lordship. Stewardship is lordship. In other words, Job recognizes, I came into this world naked and I'm leaving naked. That's the Alabama way of saying naked. (laughs) I came into this world naked and I'm leaving naked. What does that mean? I didn't bring anything with me. I'm taking nothing with me. Everything I've got, the Lord has given me. Everything. So whether he takes it or gives it, Blessed be the name of the Lord. So what position does that put me in? That puts me in the position of being the steward, not the master. In other words, I'm struggling with my computer this week. It's driving me crazy. Mitch will tell you, we've been working on it. There's something wrong with the operating system on my computer. I've updated, I've done it. There's something going wacky. Every computer I've touched over the past seven days, has gone wacky. I've got, the, I've got some sort of demonic oppression on me for computers, so don't let me touch your computer right now. But every computer has an operating system. It, it functions based on its operating system. You, too, have an operating system in your life. You have some sort of thing through which every idea, every thought, every deed is being filtered. And we as Americans, we have an operating system that we've kind of adopted together called capitalism. We, means means, the money's mine, I get to do with it what I want, the money I get, I, I get to give away. I mean, over the ages, we have had these operating systems, uh, the Romans believed the individual owned. The Greeks believed it was communal. Um, uh, over the years, we have battling right now in our world: uh, communism, socialism, capitalism. Everybody's—it's an operating system trying to tell us who owns what. Is it the government? Is it the individual? Is it the society? And and we we as Americans, believe it or not, have adopted this attitude that capitalism is next to godliness. We think, you know, this is God's country and we love capitalism. And it's, listen, capitalism is just an operating system. Here's God's, God's ownership idea. It's all his. It's all his. It's not mine. In other words, what he's given me, he's given me to function in this life to his glory, to advance his kingdom. So when, when the car I drive breaks, I can say, God... Your car just broke. God, you need some money to fix your car. You know what I mean? Now I'm not saying going. There's some principles within this. God is saying in financial means to, that we're to operate in. In other words, the Bible says don't get in debt. Be a debtor to no man except the debt of love. Now we as Americans say, well, he God's not a good capitalist because debt is good. Debt drives the system. Debt helps things move along. Debt helps the economy. It helps the more I spend, the more I get in debt, the more this business has to hire, and this is going to go good. And if we all get in debt, then everything's going to be good. We're just driving right along off a cliff. That's where we're driving. Why? Because God's principles are valid. Stewardship is all about lordship. It's about lordship. Look um, <clears> at... <throat> For every animal of the forest is mine. And that's not David saying that. That's not the psalmist. He's speaking on behalf of the Lord. The Lord is saying everything is mine. And the cattle on a thousand hills. Well, there are shepherds out there and there are guys who actually own those sheep. No, God is saying those, it's all mine. Acts says this. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. In other words, he's the one who gives it. He's the one, he's the owner, he gives it, we are trusted with it for a short time. By the way, who has the rights? The owner or the servant? Yeah, the owner has the rights. So the owner gets to dictate how things are done. Done. God has a system in place. He, he, he works in a specific way. He manages situations. And He's given us the authority in freedom to say, hey, I'm going to give John these resources for while John is alive. Now, John, I want you to handle them. You, you could say yes or no. Here are the principles that I'm giving you, John, on how to handle these. But I'm giving you the freedom to make a decision about how you're doing it. And oh, by the way, one day, John, there's going to be an accounting. That's the part we like to overlook. Uh, One day, there's going to be an accounting for how we did with what we've been given. I'm not giving you this to make you afraid. We still walk under grace. We're still in freedom. But I don't want you to think, oh, I can just do whatever I want to. There's still going to be an accounting. And how that all balances out, we just need to do the best we can in the aspect of stewardship. Deuteronomy 8.18 says this, but remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth and so confirms his covenant which he swore to your forefathers as is today. This is the setup for what I really want to get to. The rationale for stewardship is this. God is the owner. We're the stewards. Now, we don't even, it's hard for us to relate to a system that we don't We've never really operated in. But the truth of the matter is, naked you came, naked you're leaving. Anything you came with or anything you can take is yours. Everything else belongs to God, which says to us, it's all His. It's all His, which gives me the next point. And by the way, I'm not just talking about money. I'm talking about everything, everything, everything. Your words, the breath that you breathe, the, the family, the job, that it's all His. And we're going to be the ones who steward it for His care. So here's the point that I'm going to spend the, the bulk of the time on this morning. And these, uh, I'm going to attack because, I say attack because I'm going after them, because these will dictate your reasons for why you do what you do. Three... and let me just say this, many of these ideas are mine, many of these are not. And so I'm not footnoting everything here uh, where I've borrowed ideas from, but I've tried to synthesize them in a way that I hope will communicate to us. And also, if you've been a part of fullness for more than 10 years, you've heard these ideas over the years. I'm just trying to put them in one teaching that I hope will help us all. And some of us are new and so we'll, we'll all get to hear this together again. So here's the first point. There are three levels of living, and I've placed these as A, B, and C in your notes. And hopefully you've got notes this morning because you're going to, I think it really will help you follow along. The first level of living is this. It's legalism. It's legalism. Legalism is this. The Bible says I have to do it, so I have to do it. It's the law. You know, uh, in Malachi 3.10, it says, bring all the tithes into the storehouse. So therefore, i got to bring a tithe. This is the kind of person who says, um, to, okay, it says bring the tithe, but is the tithe literally 10%? And is it literally 10% on the gross or the net? And do I have to tithe on this or that? Or it, it, It's this legalistic mindset that says... I, God said it, I have to do it. And the motivation here in legalism is really guilt. It's really guilt. If I don't do this, God is going to get me. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm living a guilty lifestyle whenever it doesn't. And it, it's this mindset of have to. I have to do this. I have to give. Now, let me just say this. I do believe the Bible talks about tithing. And I do believe tithing is 10%. And I do believe that it, it is brought to the place that you worship. Those are my beliefs. Um, you know, tithing is not um, uh, dropping an extra 20 in a bucket somewhere. Uh, that's not tithing. That's giving, which is fine. But from a biblical standpoint, tithing talks about 10% and it being. But if that's the reason you're doing it, and the only reason you're doing it, that you're doing it out of guilt and legalism. And to me, this is the lowest level of giving. Now, I'm a pastor, and I'm glad you're giving, even at the lowest level. But I don't want you to be there. I don't want you to give out of legalism. I don't want you to give out of guilt. I don't want you to feel like you have to give. Why? Because it says in that passage, each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver. Legalistic, guilt-driven givers are not cheerful givers. People don't do things cheerfully out of guilt. They do it out of obligation. They do it because they feel like they have to. Now, why do people, preachers, preach on tithing, giving, legalistic giving? Why? Because it's effective. I could get you to give more money out of guilt. It's the bottom line. I could be an effective enough communicator to guilt you into giving a large offering by the end of this service. I'm not bragging on me. I'm just saying we've got enough to feel guilty about. I mean, and it doesn't take much for me to tap into that in your life. Uh, People do it because it's effective. It's an effective means, at least short-term, to get people to give and to generate funds. The weakness of it is, please listen to me, the weakness of guilt-driven giving is it's unbiblical. Bottom line, it is unbiblical to do things out of guilt. Paul is saying, do it out of your heart, not reluctantly, but cheerfully. So I believe God is driving us to a higher level. Thank you, Mitch. The second level of living, there's legalism and then there's moralism. Moralism is the idea that I live according to a principle. One is I'm living according to the law. It says it, I have to do it. Moralism is the idea that I'm living according to a principle. In other words, the Bible says, uh, if if I sow, then I'm going to reap, right? Right? It's a principle woven into the Scripture. It is there, and it is true. And so I, I give, I sow, because I want to reap. I want to I tap into the principle that God has in His Bible. And this is a moralistic reason for giving. And, and it's not untrue. Just as tithing is not untrue, these principles are also true. Uh, but there's got to be a higher living than just living according to a principle, So under this idea of moralism, there are a couple of motivations that will come. There's the motivation of responsibility. This is I ought ought to give. I'm responsible. In other words, this is the idea that I'm a part of an organization. I'm responsible. I joined in. I signed the card. um, I've got a mailbox. um, There's, you know, I'm a part of the group. And so... I, I ought to give. I feel morally responsible to be a part of what's taking place, and therefore I give, I give money. I give resources. I give my time. I stand in the foyer and I greet people. I, I help with the children. I, I, I serve in the nursery. I teach a class on Wednesday night. I do that because I'm a part of the group and that's, that's what I'm supposed to do. It's a responsibility idea. In 2 Corinthians 8, 7, it says, But just as you excel in everything... I, I think we as Christians should underline this passage. God says excellence is a good thing. He's, and Paul is saying, just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech and knowledge and complete earnestness and in your love for us, see that you also excel in the grace of giving. The grace, not the I have to, not that I ought to, but the grace, the idea that God has given to me and I, it's a grace that I get to do this. In giving. Studies on congregational studies, there are studies that study congregations, say this. 20% of the people who attend church give 80% of the money. Are you with me? 20% of the people who attend any given church give 80% of the money. 30% of the people give the other 20%. Now, I could have put this on the board, but I I know your minds can follow numbers with me. So 20 are given 80. Another 30 are given the other 20. 30 and 20 makes 50. 50% of the people who attend any given church are giving all of the money. The other 50% give nothing. Now, praise God, we at Fullness are a little, we're more advanced. And uh, historically, we've fallen like this. Just in case you wondered, we've fallen like this. 20% 20% of the people who attend fullness give 60% of the money. 20% of the people who attend our church give 60% of the money. 50% give the other 40%. You with me so far? 20 give 60%. 50% give the other 40%. So 20 and 50 makes. So 70% of the people who attend fullness as family units give all of the resources of this church which and I'm not trying to guilt you, I've already covered that point, I'm not even trying to make you responsible to say you got to do this, but 30% of the people who attend fullness give nothing. And I'm talking about people who have joined, people who are members, and there are a lot of extenuating circumstances and reasons. I, I, I'm only saying this to say, I could hammer this point and say, look, you 30%, you need to get on board here. You've you got to step it up. I mean, what are you doing? You're just sitting in chairs? You're just, you know what I mean? Now, you may think, wait, wait a minute. I think he is beating us up. <laughs> it's, trust me, it is not my point. My point is, I can motivate you to give through guilt and responsibility, and both of those are very effective. But they won't last long term. Giving responsibly actually feels better. It soothes something. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm being a part. I'm giving. And I feel better about it because I'm living according to the principle. And by the way, it's not a bad principle to teach people responsibility. I mean, it's not a bad idea. But God it keeps calling us to a higher level of living. That's what I'm saying to you. These are not, other than legalism, living under legalism is just death. It'll kill you. But, but living responsibly is not a bad place to be. But God has more for you yet. So there's another motivation under this moralistic idea, and that's needs. Needs. This is, I want to give. Here's the idea. Let me give you the scripture passage and then circle around to the idea. Are, are, are you still tracking with me so far? Okay, so here's Second Corinthians 8. Our desire is not that others might be relieved while you are hard-pressed, but that there might be equality. Paul is talking about giving here, and he's saying, I'm not trying to press you I'm trying to say, let's spread this around. Why? Because he says, at the present time, your plenty will supply what they need. So that in turn, their plenty will supply what you need. Now, here's the idea. Need-based giving is this. I'm going to throw out a project, and then I'm going to recruit you to give to this need. You understand? Uh, It's need-based, and I could do that in a number of different ways. I could do it by um, uh, getting a need within our church that we need to take care of, okay? So, uh, for instance, right now, yesterday the elders were meeting. We're talking about how to help the trustees uh, spend money. You know, they're asking for vision, and so we're trying to say, okay, we need to redo... um, our our children's and nursery areas where we have a heart to reach the next generation the next generation of people have little kids right so have you ever wandered through our fellowship hall in our nursery how how many of you have not been down there in like 10 years well don't worry about it it ain't changed in 10 years whatever you saw 10 years ago it looks like now Uh, and it is it needs help it needs work. So, I could right now say we need to take up an offering. We've got a need and we do to redo our children's and nursery area. And I could motivate you to give based on the need. And the higher the need, you know when I start tugging at your hearts for that nursery man, you're going to you know, I could get my grandchild up here and hold this baby and <laughs> talk about what are we going to do to touch, you know, help this baby in the nursery and then he's going to be a child and my wife's down there struggling with these kids in that children's church room that needs Lord knows what help. And <laughs> some of you are like, holy cow. I'm taking an offering at the end of this service, by the way. <laughs> Why? Because need-based giving is incredibly effective. Except i got to keep giving you needs. I-, I have a friend who pastors a church who says to me, I believe in debt in our church. And I'm like, what? You believe in debt? Why? He said, because it keeps motivating people to give. As long as we keep doing a building, doing another building, getting more debt, paying off that debt, get more debt, people are motivated to give. And you know what? He is absolutely right. It's one method to motivate people to give is need-based giving. I, I just don't generally find people who are quite that forthright about it. Who are honest about it. All of these, tithing, giving responsibly, giving needs, I, I think they're all there in the Bible. But here's what I want to say to you. Christianity is in its basic nature relationships. The higher level of living is living not out of legalism, not out of moralism, but out of relationship. Relationship. Meaning that I I understand that I am in relationship with the living God, and He's in relationship with me, and I am a steward, and therefore I get to give because I'm thankful I'm thankful that I'm in this relationship. I get to give out of a heart of thanksgiving. 2 Corinthians. This is, by the way, this is, I can't help it, giving. I can't help it, giving. In other words, I ought to or I have to or I need to. This is, I, I can't help it. I am so thankful and grateful because I'm in this relationship. 2 Corinthians 9 says, you will be made rich in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion, and through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. This service that you perform is not only supplying the needs of God's people, but is also overflowing in many expressions of thanks to God. Because of the service by which you have proved yourselves, men will praise God for the ability Obedience that accompanies your confession of the gospel of Christ and for your generosity of sharing with them and with everyone else. <clears throat> Listen, people, giving out of a thankful heart is a much higher motivation for giving. It's a much higher level of living that I'm living out of relationship with, with God. What, what, what is so good about this? Well, Thankfulness is contagious. I mean, really, let me just say this too. Griping is also contagious. I mean, it is. Just start griping a little bit. And the people around you, if they don't distance themselves from you, which could happen, by the way, they'll start griping too. Yeah, you know, you're right. He is like that. You know, I'm, I'm put out with him too now. I wasn't before, but I am now. I mean, it's contagious, but you start thinking, man, I am so grateful for this. I'm so thankful. You'll find people around you start to say, you know what, I'm thankful too. I am grateful as well. And it'll shift the whole nature of the conversation. Now, there, is, there are many strengths, I think, to giving out of thankfulness. It, it, it results in expressions of joy. It points our hearts toward God. It encourages others. One of the problems with thankful giving, just one of the problems, is it can't be based on your perception. I mean, it's, it's got one slight weakness in that if I don't feel thankful, then I'm not living thankful. <clears throat> now, here's the problem. You're commanded to give thanks in all circumstances. In other words, it, it shouldn't be your perception, but nonetheless, if things are going good in my life, generally I'm thankful. And if things are going bad, I'm generally not as thankful. But God has called us to be a thankful people. And if we understand that no matter where we are in life, that this relationship with God is better than relationship without Him, then we'll live thankful lives. Be thankful. Be thankful. And here's the final one. The motivation is worship. This, to me, is the highest level of giving and living. Is living a life of worship. In other words, to reach a point where I say, you know what? This is who I am. It is in my nature to give. It is in my nature to give away. <clears> 2 <throat> Corinthians 8.5 says, And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. What, why did they do this? Because... As screwed up as the church in Corinth was, and by the way, read First and Second Corinthians, and you will find one messed up church. They still were a worshiping people. They gave, not because they had to, but because it was part of who they, it had become, by 2 Corinthians, a part of who they are. It's just in my nature. <clears throat> here, here, here are my thoughts, and then I'm going to come to, to a conclusion I believe tithing is biblical I do I've already said it I think I think there's a lot of evidence though it's not mentioned specifically in the New Testament I do believe that the, the gospel of grace that I live under is m- a much higher calling in my life than the Old Testament covenantal law that's me I believe I, get, I have more responsibility, not less, than the Old Testament people did because I live on this side of the cross. That's me. I believe that we should live responsibly. I believe that we should give to needs. But people, as followers of Jesus Christ, I believe it is our calling to live thankful, joyful, joyful, worshiping lives. And that everything I do, I do out of those. That's my level of living. That's what I'm aiming for. That when I go to see someone, uh, when I'm at a restaurant this afternoon, I'm not, I, I live a life of thankfulness and worship. When I go home and I'm with my wife, I'm living a life of thankfulness and worship. Think about it like this. What if I went home this afternoon and I said to Kathy, "You know." I'm really only here because uh, the Bible tells me I have to stay here. I just want you to know, um, I'm never going to leave you because the Bible told me I can't. That's why I'm here. Well, ain't that a home of joy? I mean, it's true, right? I'm not supposed to divorce my wife, and so I'm going to stay. But, Or I could even say, you know, I know you need me. You know, I make enough money that I got to... You need me to be around, and so I'm going to give to the needs of the family. Or, I feel really responsible that i got to stay here. I mean, listen, all of those things are true, right? I mean, God commands me to not leave my wife, their needs, their response. But is that the level of life we want to live at? Absolutely not. No, I want to live in a home where I'm thankful, and I'm worshiping God in my marriage and with my kids and with my life. Why should it be any different with giving? As a matter of fact, it shouldn't be. And every Sunday when we come to the offering time, I say to you, you're not doing this out of duty or obligation. And I'm trying not to just blow smoke there. I'm trying to say, listen, people, this what we're doing now is an act of worship. Please don't do this out of duty or obligation. Don't do it out of a moral principle thinking that if I give this, God is going to give me back may be true, but that's not why you're doing it. You're doing it because you love God. You're grateful for what he's done in your life. God gave everything. I get to give back to him. Praise God. I get to worship him through giving. We should at times just shout when it comes to the offering time. (laughs) I didn't get near as many amens there (laughs) as I I did at other places. Max Lucado tells a story about this husband who wanted to learn to dance. So he got this book on dancing. And he's got the book. He's practicing all the steps. He cuts out these little feet, puts them on the floor, puts them all out of the room, all over the room. He's got the book, and he's practicing his stuff. And his wife comes home. His wife comes home, and he he, he goes, hey, 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 sit down, watch this. Got the book, the steps, And he finishes, and he says, didn't I execute that perfectly? And she said, oh, yeah, you executed it right. It did. You executed it so good. And he goes, well, what did I do wrong? And he go, she goes, hey, let's try this. Let's put on some music. Let's put on some music. Now, put the book down and just go with the music with what you've learned. Giving without the power of the Spirit and without thankfulness and worship is like trying to dance without music. I mean, it just, it may happen, but it is just not living, people. This month, we're going to talk about a heart of giving. And please, don't mistake me trying to say, I need your money. This church needs your money. I mean, it's obvious that there's a need, Right. We have staff, we have the electricity, we've got stuff. I mean, I could go, that's not what this is about. This is about how do I live a thankful, worshipful life? How do I live that with my money, the money God has given me, with the words that I speak, with the family that I have, to live a life that glorifies him in every single thing I do? What will happen if I live this kind of life? His master said, hey, well done. Well done. Well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll put you in charge of many things. Come and share your master's happiness. I think in this, he gives us some of the results. There's fruitfulness. How many people want to live fruitful lives? Jesus commanded us to be fruitful. You did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you to go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. We're commanded to be a fruit-bearing people. Now, I could go back to legalism. Hello? I could go back to point one of this and say, hey, you, are you being fruitful? God commands it. That finger pointing thing. Listen, Jesus isn't saying it in that way. He's saying, if you're attached to the vine, and by the way, this is in that area, if you're attached to the vine, you're living a thankful, worshipful life, you can't help but bear fruit. You can't help it. It's going to be a part of who you are. You're going to be fruit-bearing. The result of stewardship and living this thankful, worshipful life is you will be fruitful. The opposite is a little bit true, too. If you're not being fruitful, you may want to evaluate what level of living you're, you're operating in. Blessings. Blessings, I think that's a good thing, to live a fruitful, blessed life. Well done, good and faithful servant. That's God's blessing being spoken out as I live a life of stewardship and thankfulness. And it will result in increased trust. Faithful with little, entrusted with much. We get a greater level of trust for everyone who has will be given more and he will receive an abundance. Now, it just in looking at those three things, by the way, if... If your level of giving is, we twist things like that. In other words, if you see these results and say, you know, I want to have more fruitful money. I want to be blessed in money. I want to be trusted with more money because I want more money. Therefore, I'm going to start giving. Listen, already you backed up a step. Are you with me? That's not our motivation. Our mo- These are the results of living thankful, worshipful life. It's not what we're aiming for. What we're aiming for is the relationship with Him in every aspect of who we are. I was talking to my dad the other day. I really, you know, it's my dad. He was more talking to me uh, than talking to him, but we were talking about this whole giving thing and tithing, and he was uh, telling us how he and mom used to pray at the beginning of every year, God, how much money do you want us to give away this year? You know, the tithe was like the basement. And every year, he, they would just say to God, how much of our money, how much of the money you've given us this year do you want us to give away? And then they'd thankfully and worshipfully do that. You see, if, if I come today and say, look, I'm going to teach you to do a tithe, Again, I, I want you to see it's biblical, but I got so much more. God's got so much more that He wants you to live under than simply that. My motivation for sharing these series of messages on giving is all about us reaching a higher level of living as the family of faith here at Fullness. Really, uh, God has been God has been incredible to this church. I mean, do you know last December, this last December, we had more money taken in than any other month in the history of our church. So, um, praise God, right? Praise God. And, but, you know, for me telling you that, you may say, well, the church doesn't really need my money. Listen, you've already backed up a step. Whenever you start talking like that. But we can't help it. We can't get it out of our heads, this way of thinking that's so ingrained in us. I, I, my heart for us is this, may we be thankful, worshiping people in everything we do, every moment of our lives, now, throughout all of eternity. God, I pray this morning that you would, um, you would help us. Lord, we acknowledge today that we are in smack dab in the middle of a materialistic generation the most materialistic generation and society that has ever lived. And so, Lord, today, I want to pray that you would free us to live in a vital, life-giving relationship with you. Lord, I pray that anything I've said this morning, that's not of you, that it appears to be some sort of stuff from my own flesh, that, God, it would just drop to the ground and die. But I pray, Lord, that the part that is the truth of your word would penetrate and find good soil and spring up and bear much life. Lord, I thank you that right now we get to come to a time of giving where we give back to you a portion of what you've given to us we don't do it out of duty or obligation. We don't do it because there's a need. We don't do it because we feel responsible. We do it today, God, because we're grateful. We're thankful. We do it as an act of worship. Lord, we thank you that you love, you love generous, hilarious givers. May you find us such and find it for the right reasons. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Scott is going to come and share a couple of opportunities of service with you for the week ahead. It is offering time. TV, shout for me, man. Woo! It is offering time. We get to give back to him. Scott's going to share some opportunities while you get your offering ready. You can also hear the opportunities he has for us. Amen. <clears throat> All right, I first want to talk to anyone who's still kind of new to fullness. If you're still relatively new here, you've been coming for a while, but you would like to know a little bit more uh, about us, um, and if you would like a more of a personal opportunity to hear from Pastor Bard on, on who we are as a church, our vision, a little bit of our history.